It can be hard to see the challenges the people we work with are facing. Addressing these invisible struggles can make us and our companies healthier. Join Holly Robinson-Pete on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This week, the stock market plummeted, losing 10% of its value from just a week ago. The coronavirus pandemic has caused most of that market turmoil. But there's another thing that's made that pain worse. A battle over oil that sent prices into freefall. The oil market had its worst day in almost three decades. The drop was spurred by a growing oil price war as the market was already weakened by coronavirus fear. So we've got all of this piling on. And there's going to be a lot of pain. What was the reaction like from Wall Street analysts and oil officials around the world? Some of the words you don't want to repeat on a family podcast, but no one had ever seen anything like it. Ken Brown is our financial enterprise editor. You saw oil prices collapse, you know, causing people to lose billions of dollars, investors to lose money, changing dynamics for drivers, for oil drillers, for everything. It was, you know, pretty unbelievable. This oil price war couldn't have come at a worse time for the global economy. And the decision to set off this war was made by one man, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Here's a guy who is sitting in Riyadh in this, you know, kingdom, and then he can turn around and basically blow up the world oil market. He wants to be in power, and he is like, listen, I'm the boss. There's nothing you can really do about it. Today on the show, with the world economy on the brink, why did the crown prince start a devastating oil fight? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, March 13th. The chain of events that sent oil prices tumbling all began with a deal to do the exact opposite. Back in 2017, Saudi Arabia struck an agreement with Russia to keep oil prices high. This deal was particularly important to Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, because MBS, as he's known, had huge plans to diversify the kingdom's economy away from oil. To do that, he needed a lot of money. And he hoped to get some of that from the IPO of Saudi Arabia's national oil company, Aramco. The key to the success of that IPO was high oil prices. You value an oil company on uh, how much oil it pulls out of the ground and the price of that oil, right? And so Aramco can pull a lot of oil out of the ground, uh, and so it really matters the price. But Saudi Arabia alone doesn't control the price. Its deal with Russia, the third largest oil producer in the world, was helping it keep oil prices high, basically by limiting production. And then, in December of 2019, Aramco's IPO debuted. How did that IPO go? Not so good. So they had hoped to list in the big financial centers of the world. They had hoped that this would be, you know... Wow, there's Exxon and, and Shell and, you know, that, but the big oil company, the big dominant oil company, everyone knows is Aramco. And what happened was global investors 
were wary of investing in a company that's essentially run by the crown prince. Investors have no say. And so Saudi Arabia, they ended up doing the IPO on the Saudi Arabian stock market, which is not a financial hub. It didn't make Saudi Arabia this big global financial player like they thought it would. It made them just, wow, Saudi Aramco is now listed and you could buy the shares if you want, but they trade in Saudi Arabia and the world kind of gave a shrug. After the IPO in December, Russia started getting antsy. They weren't so sure anymore about the deal to limit production. Russia wanted to sell more oil. So the Russian economy had been hurt a bit by U.S. sanctions of varying sorts. And so they were just looking for a little boost, a little way to get the economy going a little stronger. And so Russia started to push a little more to raise production. And they felt like, you know, the global economy was good and Saudi Arabia had its IPO and we should boost production a bit. We don't need to ally ourselves with Saudi Arabia anymore. Russia was just sort of pushing back. This was a big problem for Saudi Arabia. If Russia started pumping more oil, sending prices down, it would hit the Saudi economy hard. So Saudi Arabia needed to keep Russia on board. Starting at the beginning of the year, there were discussions between the Saudis and the Russians. And the Saudis knew that the Russians wanted out. And they were saying, well, listen, let's work it out. Maybe we can do some investing in Russia. Maybe we can help your economy and offset some of the pain of the U.S. sanctions. And then you'll keep production where it is and we'll both be happy. Saudi Arabia hoped that by sweetening their agreement, Russia would keep working with them. And then, according to sources, MBS asked his father, the king, to call up Russian President Vladimir Putin to try to seal a deal to keep oil prices up. The Saudi king said he wanted to talk to Putin. Putin kind of said no for a while and then finally agreed to a conversation. It didn't really go anywhere. The Russians were reluctant to negotiate on this part. And so our reporting around those meetings showed that Russia just backed off and said, no, we are not going to do a deal right now. Let's just wait. To add to that, Russia was concerned about the growing coronavirus epidemic. And so in February, talks between the two countries stalled. All eyes were on the next time Russia and Saudi Arabia would meet. In March, at a summit for OPEC, the global cartel of oil-producing countries. But in the lead-up to that summit, the crown prince, MBS, had other concerns back at home in Saudi Arabia. As all these talks are going on with Russia, MBS is sort of having like low-grade annoyances with a bunch of the members of the royal family. So this is a sprawling royal family, and the kingship, the throne, has been passed among brothers. And then the, what the king did was say, no, actually, MBS is going to be the next one. And so this is a clear rivalry for MBS. And, you know, he is very clear that he wants to be in charge. You know, this is the heir apparent. He's protecting his throne, and any threat or perceived threat is dealt with in a pretty draconian way. It's Shakespearean, right? And according to sources, one of the things that the crown prince is especially concerned about is the former crown prince, his cousin, Mohammed bin Nayef. MBS had replaced him in 2017. Ever since, tensions between the two have been brewing about who would succeed the king. If the king dies, Mohammed bin Nayef is one of the people who could challenge MBS for the throne. For months, 
MBS has been squeezing his cousin, raiding his home, and even building a fence around his private helipad. Why did MBS feel a need to turn those screws to to show he's the guy in charge? So he's always been that way. He's always been clear that he's the guy in charge and uh, threats are dealt with, you know, in pretty tough ways. You know, you can debate, right? So either he feels threatened and so he feels like he has to act. Either he feels paranoid or he feels like he's coming from a position of strength and he can really push these folks aside. And it's impossible to know, and it may be a combination of all those things. I mean, MBS doesn't want people complaining, right? MBS wants, you know, everyone to be behind him. And that all came to a head last week. As a delegation from Saudi Arabia began negotiating with Russia at the OPEC summit, MBS made his most drastic move yet to consolidate power at home. So on Friday, last Friday, word starts to leak out that there had been a bunch of detentions, a bunch of prominent members of the Saudi royal family got hauled in. Mohammed bin Nayef was arrested, and the king's brother, Ahmed bin Abdulaziz, was arrested. Another member of the royal family was arrested. According to our reporting, a bunch of guards showed up at their houses, at their palaces, with masks, dressed all in black, uh, from the royal court, and hauled these guys in. And so this is pretty dramatic, especially because the people they hold in are very prominent. This doesn't happen every day. Um, And it raises all kinds of questions. People in the royal court floated the idea that there was a coup attempt or they were planning a coup attempt. There's all this palace intrigue. I mean, it really is Shakespearean. You know, I'm busily sort of trying to think about what's the right Shakespearean reference here. Is is it sort of Macbeth or Hamlet or... What, what do you think? I, yeah, I, I would I'd say choose your tragedy. I mean, as we all know, in, in half the Shakespearean tragedies, when the king dies or the queen dies, that's when, you know, things really go kablooey. You know, he's a young guy, and he is asserting a lot of power, and is no one that young has been in charge there in a long time. They were being shown who's boss, essentially. Coming up, MBS turns his attention to the global oil market and tries to show Russia who's in charge. How well do we know the people we work with every day? We share lunches, jokes, and deadlines, but are we aware of the unseen struggles we often face silently? stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or feeling misunderstood at work. Through insight, awareness, and empathy, we can start to better see the issues our coworkers are dealing with, and that can make us and our companies healthier, too. Join Holly Robinson-Pete and her guests on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Welcome back. Around the time of the arrests of MBS's political opponents, the crown prince was also in touch with his brother, the oil minister of Saudi Arabia, 
who was in Vienna at the OPEC summit. So his brother is sitting there in Vienna negotiating with some of the most powerful oil economies in the world, trying to figure out what we're going to do with oil supply in the world. And layered onto that, the world economy is screeching to a halt because of coronavirus, right? The biggest oil importer in the world is China. China's economy ground to a halt in the first quarter. And then you have, yeah, this OPEC meeting where the fate of part of the world's economy is being decided. And on top of all that, Saudi Arabia's frayed agreement with Russia, the one that had been in place since 2017, was at a breaking point. So in Vienna that day, MBS's brother was at the table with Russia, trying to renegotiate a deal that would keep global oil prices high. And so they're negotiating. And the last Saudi bargaining position is, listen, we're going to keep these production levels going for three more months. So just put up with us for three more months. We'll do what we've been doing for a while. And in three more months, we'll revisit this. And the Russians were not agreeing to that, but that was what was on the table. And then there was a phone call between MBS and his brother, the oil minister, where MBS said, you know, three more months isn't good enough, 12 more months. It was pretty clear the Russians weren't going to agree to three more months, and MBS is saying 12 more months. So, you know, MBS at home is basically squeezing his rivals, is telling people, you know, you better listen to me or else. And he essentially is telling the same thing to the Russians, which is, listen, not only do I want to keep production where it is now, we're going to do it for another year. And basically, you can agree with me or not, but that's what we're doing. And he phoned Putin. What happened there? Well, Putin wouldn't talk to him. I mean, this has been a, you know, an interesting thing. I mean, you know, these, look, these two guys, in some ways, they're made for each other, right? They're two strong-willed autocrats, and they really didn't negotiate. And so the Russians were just not going to go along with it. And there's not really much more talking. Then the Saudis come out and say, well, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to jack up production. If you don't want to play with us you know, we're going to take our ball and go home. And if you don't want to talk to us, you don't want to do our terms, we're going to blow up the whole system. And they did. This past Saturday, Saudi Arabia launched an all-out price war. Saudi Arabia floods the market with oil despite waning demand. They've gone nuclear here. Um, They did everything they could over the weekend to do and achieve the objective that we're seeing right now, which is this plummet in price. Not only did they say they're going to the biggest decline in oil since uh, 1991, which was the first Gulf War when that started. So it was unbelievable. This price war hit as global markets were already incredibly worried about the coronavirus epidemic. And one of the most puzzling things about Saudi Arabia's decision is that one of the countries that could be most badly hurt by declining oil prices is Saudi Arabia itself. What does the collapse in oil prices do to the Saudi economy? Well, so the government is a dominant force in the Saudi economy, and the government basically gets its money from oil. And so it's going to be tough. Um, They're going to be cutting the budget. They're going to be cutting all the subsidies that all the Saudis get. And, uh, yeah, it could potentially be painful. Why would he do that? Boy, I wish I knew. It, It asserts his power. He can do this. You can argue he threw a fit and said, fine. You know, we are going to pump out a lot of oil right now. And even though the world doesn't want it, it's the worst possible time to be jacking up production. We're going to do it. And 
basically you guys are all screwed. The question is, was there some deeper strategy behind this or was he just annoyed at the Russians and he did this crazy thing? It's hard to know, but you know, this was pretty dramatic. I mean, he's playing havoc with, you know, the world's most important commodity at a usually vulnerable time in the global economy. For this story, the Wall Street Journal attempted to reach the parties involved, and none provided comment. Meanwhile, there are no signs that this oil price war will end soon. Both sides doubled down this week. On Tuesday, Russia announced it could start pumping half a million more barrels a day. And on Wednesday, Saudi Arabia hit back, unveiling plans to boost oil production by a million barrels a day. That's all for today, Friday, March 13th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are me, Ryan Knudsen. And me, Kate Leinbaugh. Special thanks to Summer Saeed, Justin Sheck, Benoit Faucon, and Jared Malson for their reporting on this story. We're produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, and Rob Zipko. Our senior producer is Pia Godkari. Annie Rostrasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Billy Libby, Peter Leonard, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you on Monday.